Beginning the track, a 52-episode introduction to Star Trek. Welcome to Beginning the Trek, Jessica. Hi, welcome everybody. So we're really happy that you all who are listening are listening. Today we're going to talk about symbiosis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is episode... <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is episode... <laughs> this is episode 16. This is episode 16. So yeah, if, uh, if you haven't seen Star Trek before, or you'd like to take Jessica's journey right along with her, uh, start at the beginning, episode one, and uh, it's been a great, a great trip so far. I think. I, I'm having fun. I'm having fun. Other people are having fun. Cool. And if you want to let us know, I am usually on Twitter at Begin the Trek, and Andy's usually on Facebook at Beginning the Trek, or all in general, www.beginningthetrek.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and like our podcast. And if there's something about it you don't like, let us know. We're always looking to uh, improve what we've got here. Leave us a review. We love them. Yeah, leave us a review. We want to hear from you. So now, do we get to the spoilers? We get to the spoilers. So let's talk spoilers for just a minute. And I've got like two spoilers before we get to your 10-sentence synopsis. So let me just do okay. those real quick. Uh, the first one is, through the last several episodes, Wesley Crusher has become an acting ensign. And he, it happened in an episode called Where No One Has Gone Before. And he's saved the ship a couple of times in a few really? episodes. Yeah. Okay. He, he's a bit of a boy genius. Of course he is. And uh, gets recognized for it. So he's given permission to uh, work up on the bridge. Yeah, that was a that was a that was a big difference going from oh, who's the little kid to oh, now you're working here. Okay. Exactly. Exactly. And then the other the well, I mean, I'll just yeah, I'll I'll just mention it briefly. Uh, the holodeck, which we saw in Encounter at Farpoint, but we won't see in Symbiosis, um, got a major upgrade, and it now does all sorts of cool things. It's already happened. It happened in an episode called one one zero 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 one. Sorry, let me say that again. I misspelled that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> one one zero zero one zero zero one. I'll look for the ones with the ones and zeros in it. It's it's the only one that looks like an actual binary, um, yeah, or a binary byte. Does it mean anything? That right there actually is the name of two of the characters. It's an okay episode. It's not great, um, but. Uh, in fact, neither where no one has gone before nor one one zero zero one zero zero one are fantastic episodes. So no need to go back unless you're really interested. But if you say nah, I say nah. There's enough good ones out there that I'll stick to the ones you suggest. Yeah, it's not. Th it's not that they're okay. bad. It's just that there's better. And that's all the spoilers I have. So uh, do you know your name in binary? I used to know my name in hexadecimal. That's kind of awesome. But not in binary. I could figure it out. Okay. In any case, I just wanted to see, test the limits of your nerdiness. You're that nerd. There's only 10 kinds of people, those who know binary and those who don't. I don't. I know. <laughs> oh, let's get to your synopsis. Okay. Let's get to the synopsis. I'm being a silly goof. So, so... Jessica, 10 sentences. Spoil right. everything. And by the way, folks, last chance. If you haven't seen Symbiosis yet, this is a great episode for conversation. Go and watch it. All right, Jessica, go for it. Okay. 
while freaking out about the beauty of solar flares and daring to get as close as possible even if it's disruptive to the ship, the Enterprise receives a distress signal from a clueless captain on a freighter ship. In an attempt to help save them from the flares, we beam the crew, oh wait no, cargo first and then some of the crew. The precious cargo that was worth more than the lives of two of their crew is Felicium, and the four characters, two Ornarens and two Breckians, are ready to fight it out with dangerous electric hands to see who can keep it. Natasha Yar separates the children with a phaser, and we all sit down with Picard to learn that the cargo is medicine for a plague that the Breckians sell to the Ornarens in exchange for everything else they need to survive, but because the ship got destroyed, the Ornarens couldn't pay for the medicine, and the Breckians want it back. Picard is far more concerned to learn that there might be a plague on board and immediately calls for medical. Dr. Crusher discovers nothing wrong on board or with the Ornarans who are infected, and we all learn the Ornarans are actually unknown drug addicts, and the Breckians have forgotten to mention that the plague had been cured centuries ago and are now using the narcotic properties of the medicine to basically enslave the other planet. Pause for a public announcement. Wesley, drugs are bad. To Crusher's horror, Picard refuses to inform the addicts because the Prime Directive, and instead he plays kind of a tough dad and withdraws an earlier offer to repair their ships. With neither society able to produce ships anymore, the dealers will be unable to deliver their goods and will see the complete collapse of their economy, and the addicts will be forced into recovery where they may or may not kill each other for the last bit of medicine. Either way, we get to wash our hands of it because we have spaceflight and can leave. The end. Okay, so we leave. That we do. Well, following in Kirk's footsteps, right? We leave. Or not really so much. Or not really so much. As we will debate when we talk episode. So we're talking episode already. I do get why you chose this episode. It was an introduction to the Prime Directive. It was. It was, a, it, and I think, a really good introduction to the Prime Directive. Really? I think it's a really bad introduction to the Prime Directive. Awesome. Let's then let's talk about that. Okay, you want to you want to start with that? Well, yeah, well actually I do want to start with that since since we're into the episode already and okay. I mean ultimately I think this is it's it's a fairly simple story, mm-hmm. but it really wrestles with the ethics of are we what we say we are when it comes to the prime directive, when it comes to not interfering with people. So, so you think it's a bad example of that. I do. Tell me why. Uh, well, I could, I think I could break it down in one example. So we're not allowed to interfere. And is this with, with younger societies with less technologically advanced? I don't know how that defines that, but the, the obvious implication is we have more power than you and giving you power is probably going to make you hurt yourself. I get so premise wise. However, mm-hmm. for this episode, we are completely fine with letting them handle getting over their addiction, which we assume will happen. But I think that's a big giant assumption. And we can't interfere with the way these two cultures are interacting, even though it's so obviously bad I'm going to go for both of them because there's literally nothing that the Breckens can do. Apparently, all they know is drugs. I'm sorry, medicine. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. So I can see, like, it was supposed to be helpful. But the truth is, had Dr. Crusher found a solution for an actual plague that they had had, we would have given them that. Would we? She was absolutely ready to heal them. She was absolutely ready to heal them, wasn't she? And they would absolutely have had that plague spread across the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like the oh crap moment he has, like, you just brought 
you possibly brought something on board, uh, medical alert, we would have healed ourselves and we would have shared that. I'm already saying we. <laughs> You're already on board, already. I'm already on board. I'm already one, I'm already one of them. <laughs> already one of the crew. The new, I just jumped onto the new crew. I'm already there. Two episodes in. <laughs> right? Perfect. Do you really, I want to ask you, do you really think that the captain would have said, we've got this, we cured it, and we're not going to share it with you because you need to figure out your own way, even if they were asking for help? If it is a... A, a non-federation mm-hmm. and and has not achieved a certain level of technology, a certain level of advancement. And, you know, I, I, as many times as I've talked to so many people, um, it could be anything from warp flight once you start being able to fly at speeds faster than light. That's when we take notice. That's when the Vulcans supposedly took notice of us. There's a movie about that, a Next Generation movie about that. Do we go back in time? We do. Of course we do. Why not? Star Trek. (laughs) Well, but it's, yes. It works. Time travel works great. And we'll get to some of that in the future too, of course. But we're not talking about time travel. No, we're talking about... We're talking about the Prime Directive. And you said something really interesting. If this had just been a plague Mm -hmm. and she could have, you know, and there hadn't been this thing, Mm -hmm. she would have just, they would have just cured them. Not necessarily. Because that would be interfering with that society. So Picard is really going to be like, no, sorry, y'all get to die. An entire planet. Makes for a really difficult set of ethical situations. It really did seem like he would totally have been handing over. He would have handed over the medicine had the Breckens not been like, nah, <laughs> He would have given it back to them. Had the two Breckens died in the transport instead of... Chances are, yes. They were asking for help. Chances are, yes. Chances are, if it had just been the the Onarans, that, and the Onarans were the ones that were sick... Just for anybody mm-hmm. that's for anybody that's listening, um, right. the Onarans were one that were th- are the ones that were sick. The Onarans are the addicts. The Breckens are the dealers. Right, exactly. So, so the Onarans, if they had been the only ones that had survived and said, you know, we just need to take our medicine, I'm sure that we probably would have. Would they have? helped cure them or or noticed that it was an addiction and done something about it? I don't know. It probably would have played out very similarly because that's how Picard handles it. Mm-hmm. And he even says at the very end, there was only one option. Right. He just had to wrestle with himself to make that, to make that, you know, to, to make that final order and say, no, this is what we're doing. I've got a hard time with it. Oh, you got a you got a scowl on your face, an absolute scowl. I do. I have a hard time with it. It's clearly there is a level of interpretation. Yes. Because even he bends the rules. He's going to help them with the coils. Oh, oops, never mind. Because it's actually better for them if he doesn't help with the coils. It's the only thing he can do to he help says, them. He thinks. He says. But the truth is, he doesn't know. He could be abandoning them. They will all kill each other for that last 0.01 dosage. And the Breckens will all die because none of them know how to do anything except make narcotics. Like, he's thinking that he's being the tough teacher doing right. But the truth is, the Enterprise left it a giant mess. I'm not, that mess would have happened anyway, maybe. Well, let me know. ask you, what would, have, what would you have done? I think I'm going to side more with Dr. Crusher on this 
one simply because you would have let the you would have let the Onarans know that they were not actually plagued, but instead addicted. Right. You would have helped them to wean themselves off of the Felicium. Yes. Recognizing that it was. Yes. And then what would you have done? Now you have a bunch of Onarans that know how to produce things mm-hmm. that might be upset with the Breckians over this long-time enslavement. And then you have the Breckians who don't know how to produce anything wallowing in their own pity because they no longer have, you know, mama to take care of them, you know, because who needs the Felicium anymore? And they become sitting ducks. And then, you know, maybe as soon as the Breckian or the Onarans figure out how to build ships, they go over and wipe the Breckians out. Now you're responsible for that. No, you're you're no, you're not responsible. If you change one thing, you're not responsible for every single thing that follows that. Or that would be that would be my take on it. I don't, I'm not Q. I don't believe that. <laughs> I got that. And, and, and you know what's what, what's interesting is this is this is the joy of every time we talk about the prime right. directive. It's it's what you are getting right now is your first conversation about the prime directive. Right. What the heck is it? When does it apply? When should it apply? Are there lawyers involved? Are the rules more important than the actuality of life? There's a there's a lot going. You know what this makes me think of is the moment uh, was it Organians, the light beings, yes, who looked inferior yes. but totally weren't. This is right? their position. They look back. They look at it and they're like, "Oh, good God! These two children races are going to kill themselves." Yeah. So the best we can possibly do is put a, essentially put up a barrier. And and that's all that we can do because helping one side or the other isn't going to get. And we can see further down, you're going to be friends. Exactly. So, but, so this is when Picard is in that situation. What does he do? He doesn't put up a barrier. He, ah, I don't know. He, he takes his hands completely off the whole situation. Sort of. Well... If the if any of them had been listening, they would have heard exactly what Dr. Crusher says. She makes it pretty obvious yes. if they weren't wallowing in their own stuff. There are other ways. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And him too. Be like, you You already had this machinery before. There, maybe go looking through your history books. Well, and maybe just this interaction, even though we basically are just, you know, dropping them both off, giving them their medicine, letting them continue their deal in whatever capacity they're going to. Right. Maybe doing that was also interfering too much. We don't even know what this might have done. Right. Because they definitely, just being there, they saved people, they saved that shipment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So they've already, well, then, okay, like if they've already interfered by, you know, being alive and exploring. Yes. How do you even have a prime directive? You've already nullified that whole idea by existence. Yes. Welcome to the prime directive. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's another, it's another component of it. Who thought of this stuff? Well, Gene Roddenberry thought up this stuff Mm -hmm. and, and they incorporated it in and it seemed like a really smart and altruistic philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then we test it continuously. Right. There's a couple of episodes in the original series that I wanted to bring up. 
that talk about the prime. I was going to talk a little more about prime directive mm-hmm. in let's talk track, but Hey, like we're into it All right. already. There was an episode that I've talked about many times, Spock in a fedora called a piece of the action. I might actually get you to go back and watch another episode of, of the original series this week. So this is a prime directive show in the past. A ship called the Horizon stopped off and had an interaction with this planet before there was a prime directive. Mm -hmm. And so there may have been some contamination and they go to see and study what that contamination is. Okay. And, And when they get there, they discover a book, just a book. That got Uh, left behind. Gotcha. And now it has a society based on that book. I mean, who would have thought leaving a book behind would have caused what it caused? So, okay. No, and then I had the thing in switching from uh, original series to next generation. Mm -hmm. Do you think that Kirk would have behaved the same as Picard? No. Not at all, right? No, I don't. I think that I think that Kirk would have Kirk would have fig- if they had figured out the same thing, mm-hmm. Kirk would have definitely interposed. Yeah. And and once he was done interposing, he would have left and left them to their own devices because that's what we do. Yeah. I just the yeah. And he would have said that he would have made up some reason for that it wasn't a it wasn't a um prime directive issue because they already were were out there flying. Right. They already had a ship and by the time that we connected with them and figured out what was going on, we were already involved. Right. So, he would have made that argument, they would have allowed him to because Kirk was a bad boy, you know? I mean, he cheated. He, he, you saw the, how he handled the Kobayashi Maru. He didn't like losing. He doesn't like to lose. And and so he kind of bent the rules a lot. To the point where you don't know the rules until you get into the next generation. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I have another thing then. Do you still believe in the Prime Directive when, let's imagine that Kirk is in the position of the Arnarans. Mm-hmm. And that's his old butt ship traveling, getting blown up, and that's just the best he's got. And he's, because I've seen him in these situations, he's arguing with a higher, not higher power, but a hired, more powerful alien, more powerful ship saying, you need to do what's right here. You need to help us. You need to get this medicine down. Because from that point of view, it's absolutely unfathomable that they wouldn't give help. I I, I agree. I think that Kirk would have given help. Um, that's part of why I wanted this to be the episode we talked about for the Prime Directive, because mm. this is this is right. the Prime Directive interpreted very literally. It, and it leaves you wondering whether or not we did the right thing. Right. How does Beverly Crusher, right. the doctor, who's so angry with this whole situation yeah. and, w- and would have Definitely. Just if she hadn't been told, don't you dare keep a lid on it. Yeah. She would have said something right there in sickbay to everybody. And then when the cat's out of the bag, you got real trouble, you know, because all it takes is for the Onarans to start to think that it's something other than a medicine. Right. You know, that's all it would take. Well, how, how dumb of a species do you have to be to not realize it at that point? 
Also, how dumb of a, a society do you have to be? The Breckens, too. They literally don't do anything else. Really? Yeah. Like, both of these worlds are extremely stupid. You know what? It, it almost seems like... Or one-dimensional. Well, and that's it. One-dimensional or two-dimensional. Yeah. They're, 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 not, they're not fully flushed out societies with large numbers of people. I thought about that. Is it possible that there yeah. are some Onarans that would just refuse to take the Felicium just out of, I would rather end my life than continue to deal with the suffering of this or whatever. And then they get better. And then at some point, somebody would realize. Yeah. I thought about things like yeah. that. Um, or that there, they've got to be doctors on, on if, if the Onarans are the ones that are doing all of the, the production, they're probably the ones that have the better doctors, the better, right. the better right. facilities. So they should have figured this out on their own, or maybe they will soon. I, it, things are going to go really bad for the Breckens when the Onarans finally yeah. realize. And it's going to fall yeah, apart. Yeah, when all they have is a flower. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> all Picard is saying is we won't be the catalyst. Right. When he, But the funny the thing is he does, at one point, it's okay for him to help with the coils. He's willing to, he's going to beam it over. And, you can, and then at the end, it's not. So it's not a cut and dry it's very interpretate interpretative interpreted yeah <laughs> it's very in, whatever you got it <laughs> i got it no i totally got it I, I and i'm terrified to say the word myself because i think i'll screw it up too it's very subjective there you go it's subjective it is yeah and it is and it's not until it becomes an issue that he realizes oh there's like inner, like, like i think part of the part of Picard's arc in this is recognizing, oh, this is turning into a, that this is becoming an ethics right. issue. And I need to like get into Mr. Ethics mode here. And he does. He does. You know, he's very yeah. quiet through mm -hmm. most of this. This is a first season episode. And a lot of people, myself mm -hmm. included, feel that Star Trek The Next Generation doesn't really get going until partway through the second season. And then the third season is just killer. Awesome. It's just great. I'm looking so, forward to so, that. Yeah. So, so we're just now ramping up and we're going to do a lot of episodes in the second and third season. That's that's the the majority of what we're going to be watching. And because I don't want to go too far into the future and spoil all that stuff cuz whatever you want to watch, you should be able to see. But this is a pretty good first season look at the captain mm -hmm. that Picard is becoming. Because he's not, he doesn't mm -mm. dive in quickly and he he doesn't make rash decisions. Um, he's very thoughtful. And I really like that because it leaves less room for plot holes. Yay. <laughs> I like that part. I really do. Yes. I feel like security is more on the ball. Yes. I feel like when they recognize, oh, these aliens might have a virus or a threat or something, it's an immediate medical alert. Like there is no, like there's processes set in place. Yes. I love that moment where, where, where Picard says, did you bring something aboard the ship. And suddenly, I mean, everything in that room just yeah. gets serious, you know, and medical alert, mm -hmm. Dr. Crusher, get here immediately. We got, we may have an issue. No, but we, go, we could have, and especially with the solar flares, everyone's very aware. Yeah. <laughs> Those solar flares. 
I'm sorry. I actually, I actually paused it at the end of the solar flare thing. Now, there were three minutes of solar flares. I have just one thing to say about the solar flares. Tell me what you have to say about, about it. Riker, I've never seen anything like this. I, are you five? Have you never been in space? Like, really? It's, it's a terribly clunky scene, and it goes on for three solid minutes of ooing and eyeing over solar flares, right? Let's get closer. It's damaging the ship. That's okay. It's spectacular. Yeah, and, and, and science, <laughs> science, blah-dee-dee-blah, right. um, mask the this and reduce the illumination, and, and you know we're getting some tremendous images and blah-blah-blah. Now, one, it was three minutes of ooing and eyeing, and that was way too much. Mm-hmm. But two, when I saw it, I thought to myself— How new is that to the viewers? Oh, back in. Because this was 1988. And those images, I mean, we've seen so much cooler stuff than that coming from telescopes and, you know, images in the Hubble and all that stuff. But what had we seen back then, back 25 years ago or uh, 30 almost years ago? I'm going to disagree with you because while the viewer in 1988 America or wherever it was being shown, may not have seen that, and the ooing and aahing would be appropriate for the viewer, Riker should have seen that before. Agreed. It was clunky. It went yeah. on way too long. I just, I, I didn't know how new that would be to the, to the viewers. So I right. think that they were yeah. showing, it was a lot of majesty. They gave us a lot of majesty at the beginning of this episode. A lot of majesty. Little unnecessary, but fun nonetheless. Well, and then eight eight minutes of rescuing the ship. Oh, eight minutes. My God, that series. Oh, oh, oh of not rescuing the ship. Of of getting the Felicium and the four yes. the four people off the ship <laughs> before it blew up. A full eight minutes. Eight minutes. Um, the <laughs> that entire that entire sequence clunky, clunky. told me more about Picard than I think even his philosophy on the Prime Directive, which told me a lot. But I swear you can find out who people are when they get on their phones and have to talk to like customer service or customer service or an IT person who doesn't know the problem. And I'm not bagging on IT people, like, right. total 100% respect, but it's just when like, like when you're talking to the person who just doesn't get it, you will show your true colors. Are you patient? Are you kind? Mm-hmm. Are you? And Picard is nothing like Kirk. No. And it made me laugh. No. Because he's just sitting there with his hand on his forehead like, who is this idiot <laughs> who's in charge of this ship who doesn't know how the ship runs? He has no respect. For a captain who can't figure stuff out and who doesn't respect his crew and who's, and he's, he's like, what is going on? It was just, that was beautiful. I thought it was beautiful. Oh, it was a great as moment. A, as a character. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you're, and that's another reason I love this, this particular episode. Again, in the first season, they're still a little two dimensional. They're still getting there, mm-hmm. but they're getting there. And, and I, I liked his character and, and you, you kind of asked this question, then we moved on, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Okay. You, you you talked to me about about the prime directive and about what I thought. And I didn't really kind of say. And here's the oh, thing. Yeah. I've I've struggled with the idea of the prime directive. I'm not sure it's a proper philosophy. B- because there are some times where you show up and it's like and, and we do this. We show up and if we do nothing, this entire civilization is going to die. They're just over. It's done. Right. And for us to follow that rule is just to condemn them all to death at that point. Anything would be better than that, I think. 
Although I don't know in the grand scheme of the universe if I'm doing good or not by helping them. But I kind of look at it like I can really only deal with what's in front of me. And the universe is going to unfold right. however it does, regardless of the actions. You know, I mean, you know, if I take an action, the future will be affected. I don't know how the future will be affected. If I take a different action, the future will be affected differently, but I still don't know how it will be affected. So I may as well take an action right. that I think is the right action to take now. Yes, that I think is a great philosophy. Thank you for letting me like talk that through because I had to get there. Yeah. But that's my philosophy. So would I make a good Starfleet captain who follows the prime directive? Maybe not. I think I would follow the prime directive most of the time. Well, seeing as how it's subjective anyway, then as long as you could show back up on earth and say, Hey, Federation, here's why I did what I did. Then I don't know. You could convince people of the truth of it. Yeah. That seems to be what Kirk did. There's a reason he's your hero. (laughs) Hey, he likes to win. I like to win. (laughs) So that's true. We got a lot in common. I wanted to bring up one other moment because it surprised me. And again, it told me about Picard as as a captain. Yeah. Would he have let Riker die? We're talking about the moment when the, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know the character's name, but it's the Ornaren who's... His name is Tijan. Tijan. Tijan has him. And of course, they've got the electric hands. If you watch the episode... They attack each other with those, I'm going to call them electric hands. And he's frozen Riker, and he's like, I will kill him. You better give me the drugs, uh, medicine. Would he let Riker die? Would he let Riker die? Because I get that Picard is totally sure that Tajan isn't actually going to go through with it. But it's not like he knows that. Do you really know what somebody who's on drugs is going to do? That's, that's a pretty precarious kind of thing. He doesn't know this alien. I thought that was a pretty big risk, but he's got a zero tolerance policy. He follows through. So would he have let Riker die? In that moment, I, you know, I, I think he would have done everything he could to have it not happen. And I think that the action he took was the confident action of a captain who just has dealt with so many people. He felt he could say that and say and not have him die. Sure. But... He couldn't have known for sure. I mean, and it certainly seems like that power would have been enough that he could have killed him instantly if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I have to say, yes, he would have because the action that he took, you know, when he said... Could have led to that. Yeah, it could have. So, yeah, he was willing to let that happen. Right. If if that had been the way it had played out, the rest of the episode would have gone very differently. Right. I think Picard as a whole and in Encounter at Farpoint... We saw a little bit this. He's like, I don't like children. There was a whole theme there. Um, And he does have that vibe. It seemed like through this entire story, he's like, no children. We're going to sit and talk this out. No children. I'm not going to do that. There's a very, it, it had that vibe even when he's like, at that moment talking to him, I got that vibe. Like this, John needs somebody to be like, no, stop that. Yeah. And that's what he got. Because that's what Picard is going to do. He's not going to let children run rampant on his ship. And it reminds me of the moment when Kirk totally let children run rampant on his ship. The black and white face guys. Oh, yes. Because these aliens, those aliens were really powerful. Yes, they were. But so are these guys. And they're threatening thing. And Kirk was just like, oh, well, I guess 
we're just going to let them beam down to the planet. And, and that is not Picard. It's just, it's been a really fascinating thing. If anybody else is taking the journey with me, I'd love to hear their thoughts too, because I'm just automatically comparing the two. And I'll probably get over that as we get further into the next generation, but it's, it's... Well, yeah, you'll, you'll, you'll probably get used to Picard's style compared to, compared to Kirk's style, but we all were doing that mm. early on in the next generation. Sure. Yeah. So you're right on, you're right as, on as line with go. the rest of us. Of course, we yeah. all were saying it was, it was a newer version and it was a little more cerebral and a little more, you know, this, not a lot of action happened in this episode. No, a lot of exposition. Yeah. A lot of exposition, so much. but a lot of morality and dealing with how do we be who we say we're going to be and still do something more than just look? Oh, and I thought you were going to go into the drugs are bad. Oh, the, the after school special. <laughs> because when we talk analogy and morality, oh, wow. <laughs> so let's talk about Wesley Crusher and how they okay. used him. Wesley Crusher was kind of the stand-in for... Gene Roddenberry's dreams. And what I found out was Gene's middle name was Wesley. Oh. So surprise, surprise, Wesley shows up on the bridge and kind of is is a smart Alex. Who Gene got to live vicariously through. The problem was is they really didn't know how to write for him. Right. Uh, they didn't do a particularly good job of writing for him. They didn't do a particularly good job writing for a couple of the the characters. Yeah, there were several characters. Uh, for both this one and Encounter at Farpoint, I had originally said that uh, the security chief... Um, Tasha Yar. Yeah, you know, Tasha Yar. That she was kind of a throwaway. I did not, did not, definitely did not get that from this. I thought she was really great. The moment where she uh, zaps the guys and is like, behave, gentlemen. Great moment. Isn't that a great moment? And, and the conversation in the hallway with Riker about how to defend mm -hmm. against that power, I thought was really cool. She had some... And then they go nowhere with that. <laughs> and then they go nowhere. But, well, yeah. Uh, but it was cool to see her. I, I just... She, she was really, really likable. And, and I thought the, the moment where she's... I'm going to connect the transporters and bring them over and uh, just really great. I was just like, mm -hmm. hey, I like this one. The... One Wesley still seems throwaway to me, and um, the Deanna empath. Deanna Troy. Thanks for that helpful line that you apparently had to be here to give. So I can honestly say, at this moment, I hope she's the one that dies, but I know it's not because you've talked about how her mom character is going to be on the show and things like that. So I know she's not the one, but right now, that would be the one I would be like, let's just not anymore. I gotcha. Um, and again, I'll, I'll remind you that this is first season. Yes. And while you don't know what that means yet, I do. And what that means is they get better. I hear you. They I hear do. you. <laughs> they get better. I do. I just have to express that for all the people who are also new, if, who are going through this. It's like, I will express it for them. She sucks. <laughs> and she may not suck in the future, but right now she sucks. And, and so far they haven't done a ton with her. That I've seen. Yeah. 
in, in any of these episodes. Uh, when they feature her, and there's there's some episodes that will feature her uh, once she once she develops her character. She's you're right. The the whole thing, the whole I'm a magical empath that can like yeah. leech people's thoughts, and I just it it it, it cleans itself up over time. Good. I, I totally, totally believe you. Yeah. One of the things I really liked about this was the Tashiara moments. I, I, I like her character, and she is one of those people that they had a real hard time writing for. You could see that in the encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. She seemed kind of like a hothead. Or... Her speech was clunky. Mm. Um, and many of the episodes up to this point look more like that uh. than this. Um, part of one of the reasons I chose this episode was because it is a, a really good highlight for Tasha Yar. Uh, I thought so too. I thought she did. Uh, who else? How about the, how about the doctor though? Really, really great. Now that woman is passionate. Very. And opinionated. And Mm -hmm. I felt like, I mean, she, she's very familiar with the captain. We saw that in the, in the first episode. Yeah. They have a past. The vibe I get off of that relationship is that Picard actually respects her. Of all the people he's kind of treating like children on the ship, she's not. And it's really great to see the two of them, completely different opinion. He's clearly the captain. He's going to stick to what he believes. But she has every right and every reason to voice that opinion. And you can see him take it into consideration. Mm-hmm. And he needs her. He needs her to balance. because uh, obviously. So I, I'm excited to see where that goes. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm afraid. You, and you've told me this. It won't turn into a soap opera. There's so many characters. I just, I feel like it's going to turn into a soap opera, even though people, you can tell me it's not true. So It's not true. When we get done with The Next Generation, you can remind me of how not soap opera-y it was, and I'll be like, yay, good for the writers for not going that direction. Uh, do we want to talk about drugs? We didn't really talk about the drugs as a whole, and I had a note because what made this extra interesting for me was you can, it's really easy to look at drug addicts and be like, ugh, you did this to yourself. And even Natasha Yar brings up, well, you start out taking them because you want to feel good. And then you <laughs> take them because you don't want to feel bad. And it was like. Right. The after school special of the show. Right. So. When they're saying, Wesley, just say no. Right. And then we, all of America goes, throws up at the 1980s ness of that message and then we can come back and actually talk for real about it i found it really interesting that they used medicine because it completely clears the ornarans of their responsibility i mean maybe it's uh maybe they should have had doctors who realized there's nothing really wrong with us except we feel better now that we've taken anyway so maybe they should have had that set up they seem like smart enough well they should have been smart enough at some point, and they weren't. There's a parallel between what's happening with America and the health system where somebody gets hurt, and they're not looking to go have fun and get addicted to drugs, which whether those two are connected is debatable too. But they, they went in and, and they broke their leg, or something really horrible happened, and they needed medicine, and then it became addictive. Was this purposefully written that way? Because it's certainly relevant now when we're talking about it. It really is relevant. I think it's interesting because it almost makes the point that uh, the Wesley PBS after school special, it almost negates it. 
because these people weren't going out, like, getting high, whatever. They were sick. And the fact that they continue to be sick is a real, an actual belief and an actual fact. And the doctor says so. These symptoms, they may not be caused by the plague anymore. They're caused by addiction, but they're very real. And the planet that is going to go through some horrible stuff getting over that, if they get over it. Anyway, I thought it kind of negated the just say no mentality, because when you're sick, you take medicine. If that medicine is addictive, you keep taking it. And then this was really interesting thing of like, what happens when an entire world happens to do that? Anyway. The, the big point was they weren't sick. They didn't know that. They had started out being sick. Right. I, kn- I but know. But it kind of negates the whole, just don't do drugs. There, there wasn't a lesson that either the, the Breckens or the, or, or the Anarans learned. Right. The only lesson was we, we were the ones that learned this is what the Prime Directive is like and this is what it feels like to be who we say we're oh, going to be. Oh, and see, mostly what I got – okay, there was that, yes, but what I also got was drug dealers are worse than anyone else. And that's a very, I think that's a very 1980s way of looking at something. Oh, well, if we just get rid of the drug dealers, then the society will be happier and they won't be addicted. That's awesome. Uh, there's two more things we got to talk about here in this moment. Oh. And the first was, let's talk about your prediction about symbiosis. And I believe that you said. Um, I said that like there were things, because in my brain, symbiosis was uh, like the splitting of something. So I was just like, there's going to be like split personality. No, 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 no. I said data was going to get replicated. Something like that. That's what you said. Yes. You said data was going to become duplicated yeah. and that there would be two of him. And and you did not Not come even close. a little bit. <laughs> no. But that's a really interesting premise for, for a show. So there is a first season episode in between Encounter at Firepoint and Symbiosis that if you want to go back and watch, it's called Data Lore. Is it good? Yes, it is a good episode, and it introduces a character called Lore, okay. who is an exact duplicate of Data, also created by the same person that created Data. All right. So they're brothers. They are essentially brothers. Identical. Okay. Identical Is it going to be a very nature versus nurture kind of thing? There's some of that. There's some, okay. there's definitely some of that. You'll get more of data's. Uh, you'll get a little more of data's history, um, and uh, you'll also and and lore will become a recurring character. He will show up many many times. Um, okay. Well, in that case, I guess I should watch it. No, yeah, we're not going to explore any of of the lore character in hour fifty two. There's just no time. But since you predicted it, and since it's a really fun storyline for the most part. Mm-hmm. A lot of the stuff with Laura is really fun. He's a pain in the ass. Cool. I like it. He's a royal pain. Like yeah. Hugh pain in the butt or? Imagine Data's evil twin. Oh, so basically, yeah. From Okay. There was a moment Data had that was so C-3PO uh, uh-huh. when he's like, well, actually, I count 3,475, whatever like that. Oh, yes, and, yes, yes. And Picard is just like, shut up. <laughs> Made me laugh. And then the other thing that we didn't talk about yet was you didn't give Symbiosis a rating Ah, yet. well, you're going to... Uh, 
I don't know if this is fair, but I'm going to call it two out of five electric hands. Two out of five Glowing electric. Glowing hands, yeah. Because glowy... it has some merit in being interesting, but for the most part, I didn't really enjoy it all that much. But it was okay. I knew that this would probably not be one of your favorites of the, of the episodes we're going to watch in the next okay. generation. This is probably my least favorite, although I do enjoy this episode. Uh, but this was the right episode for talking about the prime directive. Yeah, I can see that. Getting to meet, especially we need to get to meet, um, characters like Beverly Crusher, Tasha Yar. Mm. Um, we haven't explored too much with data yet. We haven't explored too much with, uh, that Klingon guy. Worf. Oh yeah. He, did he even have a line in this one? He had a few. I didn't even notice him. Didn't yeah, even not, notice Not him. much from him. Not much from Jordy LaForge. Oh, the, didn't even the, notice him either. The guy at the con yeah. with the visor. Reading Rainbow. And, uh, we're going to, we're going to get some stuff from them there's, soon. I, so. I honestly think there's too many characters. I know it's a lot at first. So you got to meet the doctor some more. You got to meet Tasha Yar some more. You got to meet uh, Commander Riker. And of lot, course, Picard. Yeah, a lot of Picard. Uh, really interesting. And you got to see how they use Wesley Crusher oh, most of the time. Gosh. And the, the funny thing is, is I like uh, Will Wheaton. And I've seen him on other shows. And it's, it's really funny because he seems like a cool dude. But when they were like, yes. the poor kid. So let's talk a little track. Is it more fun to have an episode that deals with something? Because Star Trek does that a lot. Do you want to be thoughtful or do you want to be entertaining? I actually got into this conversation and then I suggested Star Trek to somebody who was like, I don't really watch TV and I don't really like this because it's all nonsense. And I was like, well, if you want to be thought provoking, you could go with some Star Trek. And then I even got to name off a few. I was like, this one deals with this kind of thing. Do you want to think about race, religion, uh, economics? Because Star Trek, one of the reasons I think that Star Trek has endured is because it, it's not, it doesn't shy away from the tough subjects. And it actually sometimes takes them on head on. It takes on racism or it takes on mm. war. It takes on even the prime directive and, and ethics and what are the right things to do. Some of the episodes are more about that than anything else. It, it, it's not typical television and they still entertain you. Yes. I had a thought, I was listening to another podcast and they, I've been, I've been dealing with uh, like TED Talks and other stuff that are doing with emotions and the stories we tell ourselves and things like that. And I wanted to coin a term specifically for the way I feel about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned it does do things head on. Yeah. And sometimes it really hits and sometimes it really misses. And I've seen a lot of hits, but I've also seen some misses. And I know that you've taken out a lot of misses. Sure. I've taken out a lot of hits, too. So it must have missed more than a couple times. How do you deal with, oh, I had this so clearly in my head because I have the term for it. I've named it hysteristalgia. And it's when you are nostalgic about something from the past, but you're angry at it because the morals of the past don't connect with today. Yes. And this is this is my word for how I have felt with the original series because things that I I cannot accept 
that that time frame did this and thought it was okay. It's not okay. And yet you're very nostalgic and you're willing to let it pass. Hysteristalgia. I'll even add, I'll even add a little to that is some of the yeah? things, especially for Star Trek. Okay. So Star Trek hysteristalgia. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Trekasterostalgia. It sounds like a disease, a horrible, horrible disease. But the cure is just take a little felicium and you're good. Done. 0.01 potency. So, so on top of it is also recognizing that what looks to you like so, so far in the past was actually right. progressive for its time too. Right. So right. When, when you see a black woman or a Japanese man on the bridge of the Enterprise, how much ahead of its time it was, and yet it's still not enough. The past will never be enough. Hysteristalgia. There are some episodes that we've watched now mm-hmm. that I still enjoy watching them, but they've got gaps now for me. Oh. And there are things about the way that, it, but it's okay. It, it just means they were doing what they needed to do when they did it. Right. I can judge all I want, but. It's made and it's endured. All I can do is yeah. judge their I mean, I, it just as an exercise, I can do I, I, ugh, ugh. right. It's no, you can, yeah, you can sit there and you can judge while you watch it and then not enjoy it or and then not watch it. But then you don't get all the good stuff. And there absolutely has been some good stuff, especially for me, just world open. It's cool. We accept the challenge because because yeah, you got to watch Star Trek basically get born. Mm-hmm. You got to watch it go through its infancy and start to develop what it was, which was this set of morality plays and this action adventure that kept you interested with fun characters and interesting enough situations. Mm-hmm. New situations. Yes. That other shows can't deal with because they don't get time travel. They don't get disease on this epic. They don't get the epicness of sci-fi. Right. Right. And the ability to use the science fiction backdrop to address some things that other shows didn't get to address either. Right. Because it's okay to talk about racism and prejudice when it's a half-black, half-white alien. It's okay to talk about war and peace and protest when it's aliens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Star Trek fans turned into the engineers and the developers and the real astronauts and the real technicians and the people that built the the world that we're in today. And by keeping that philosophy going, what can we build in the future? That was really beautiful. But yeah, we we do. We come back to the same conversation because it's still true of the why we're doing this. We're going to be getting into something fun. I like fun. We're going, to, we're going to learn some stuff about the holodeck. So for those of you who haven't seen any more than the episodes that Jessica has seen, and for Jessica, let me tell you a little bit about the holodeck. Okay. The holodeck was that big giant room that, that Commander Riker went into and there was a big- the forest, th- yeah. There was a forest and there was a stream right. and then Wesley Crusher fell into the stream and it was like- And came out wet, so it's real enough. 
If you die on the holodeck, do you... Okay, we'll probably have a whole other conversations for that. Yes. If, if you didn't get enough conversation about how do the transporters work in the original series... All right. And you haven't had enough conversation about, tell me about this Prime Directive, just wait till we start having conversations about what the heck is with the holodeck. Okay. Okay. Whole other level. <laughs> yes. So the holodeck has has got some upgrades. You haven't really seen much about it beyond the first episode, uh, but we're going to spend some time with it and see some of the things that it does. Cool. What is this, and from whence season does it come? From whence season two it comes. All right. Wow. It, season two. The third episode. Oh, and I've got a couple of other spoilers to tell you about. So we're going into the second season. Mm-hmm. Um, a character has died. Are you going to tell me who it is? I'm not going to tell you who it is right now. Okay. I will tell you who it is at the beginning of our next episode. Okay. Because I'm going to give you an opportunity if you want to go back and watch this character die, you can do that. It's actually the very next episode after Symbiosis, the one we're, we just finished watching. Okay. And it's, and it's called Skin of Evil. Skin of Evil. It's a first season episode. A character will die, Sounds will die dark. fairly early on. It's not a particularly good episode. Oh, well, that's a shame. If you're going to get killed off, they should make it epic. And it's not a particularly good death. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's insanely disappointing in a lot of ways. And I'm not going to tell you about it right now because if you want to go and watch it, this is your week to get that out of the way. Okay. But if you don't, I will let you know what happened during the, the introduction of our next episode. So you'll at least know that. So that is a recommended one if you want to make sure you're keeping up with this happened kind of thing. Yes. Okay. Also, uh, while you've already kind of said, well, we know it's not this person. I'm going to tell you one person that didn't die, but that is leaving, but has left the show. Oh, you mentioned Dr. Crusher. Dr. Crusher will leave the show temporarily at the end of the first season. She's, she's going to leave the show for an episode or for a season. We're going to bring in a new doctor and you'll meet her in the episode we're about to watch. She actually starts at the beginning of the, of the second season. Her name is Dr. Kate Pulaski. Okay. One more name I won't remember. You're going to like her a lot. Cool. And then I'm going to be sad when she's gone. And then you're going to be sad when she, when, when Dr. Crusher comes back. Uh, and then you're going to like Dr. Crusher a lot too. So Why can't we have two doctors? Uh, b- budget? I think that's a ridiculous reason. <laughs> Call Paramount then. I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, so we're going to have a new doctor. And, and the doctor is very prominently in this episode. So okay. you'll get to meet her. Uh, you'll get to meet... And so I said I would do mm-hmm. this. The people that it's going to highlight are going to be Dr. Pulaski, mm-hmm. Data, okay, and Jordy LaForge, Lieutenant Jordy LaForge, who is the who is reading Rainbow. Right. No, I know. You say Jordy LaForge, and he's got the little visor. He's got the visor. I, he's very hard to miss. <laughs> yes. So those are the characters that I'm looking for you to highlight. All the right. The name of the episode. Okay, so it's the third episode of the second season. Now I can finally reveal. Ah! Third episode of the second season. It's called Elementary, Dear Data. Oh, okay. <laughs> Dear Data? Is that Dear what Data. Is? Elementary, Dear Data. Well, I'm going to take a wild stab. Take a stab. And say what with you mentioning the holodeck Mm. characters Mm. and Data Mm. is going to be Sherlock Holmes. Ooh. Ooh, the holodeck gets out of control. Okay. The holodeck becomes the evil guy in Sherlock Holmes. (gasps) The holodeck is who's Sherlock Holmes' brother. 
Sherlock Holmes's brother yeah. was starts with an M. No, Moriarty was not his brother. Moriarty was his his arch nemesis. Oh, his bad guy, right? I would assume the holodeck would be his brother, not the bad guy. Wait, no, maybe it's the bad guy. Anyway, that's exciting. Interesting. But I'm pretty sure that was I had to do that because that first part was so easy. It was pretty obvious that we're we're going in the holodeck and we got we're going in the holodeck yep. and there's going to be somebody as Sherlock Holmes. Yep. And, yeah. yeah, that's we got oh, some stuff coming. So that means I will be tweeting out Elementary Deer Data on January the 14th. That's a Sunday at 6 p.m. Mountain Time. If you'd like to follow along, it's at Begin the Trek. I might even put some of uh, maybe a little bit of thing on Facebook. So if you want to go there, it's Beginning the Trek. And you're always welcome to visit the website at beginningthetrek.com. All right. Should we stop it? Uh, No, I think we should actually say goodbye and see you next week. Okay. So you really think we should do it for real? As an actual thing. As an actual thing. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Are you looking at your screen? Are you paying attention to me? I'm looking right at you. I love you, Andy. (laughs) I love you, too. Like, here's how meta I just got in, in, in those 10 seconds. I'm thinking about the Star Trek writers, the people that wrote that conversation. They wanted me to know, just say no. Right. Which was clearly designed to influence us. And we are a pre-warp society, so they're breaking the prime directive by writing this stuff. All that goes on the premise that they are a higher level. That was pretty meta. 